This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. Today is Wednesday, June 5th, and you're listening to Quick to Listen, where each week we go beyond hashtags and hot takes, discuss a major cultural event. Today we will be talking about praying for presidents. My name is Morgan Lee and I am Christianity Today's digital media producer. I am here with Andy Olson. Andy is our managing editor of our magazine. Hey Morgan, good to be here. I'm really glad that you're here, Andy. It's great to have you as well. And who else is joining us? Morgan, today we're going to be speaking with uh, Dr. Maurice Watson. We're so thrilled to have him with us. He is the senior pastor of Metropolitan Baptist Church in Largo, Maryland, which is a northern suburb of Washington, D.C. He's a well-known name in many ministry circles. He has over three decades of pastoral experience leading churches from Arkansas to Nebraska to Georgia, and now the D.C. area, of course. He holds degrees from Philander Smith College and Creighton University, and he earned a doctorate of ministry from Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama. He and his wife, Janice, are the proud parents of two daughters, so we're, uh, we're very grateful to have you on the show, Dr. Watson. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be invited. So, question for you. Out of all the places that you lived, which one will you admit is your favorite? Oh, you really put me on the spot. I really but, did. Um, it's going to be the know, hardest question I ask you now. <laughs> I'm I'm a son of the South, and I know D.C. is technically South, but uh, there's no city uh, like um, Atlanta, uh, Georgia. I, I love I loved being in the Greater Atlanta area. That's awesome. I will be going there in a couple of weeks, so I'm looking forward to spending some time in that part of the country. How many years were you there? Ten years. Very cool. Andy has also actually lived in D.C. Do you think that it counts as the South or not? Boy, it really depends on which part of D.C. you're in, because D.C. draws broadly from from all around the country, right, as the capital. So uh, I think there are, there are parts that feel much more South than other parts. Do you agree, Dr. Watson? I agree. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's basically up for debate. In terms of heat and humidity, I think it's squarely in the South geographically. Yes, and as all, all the mosquito bites that I got when I was on the Anacostia River last year would also attest to that. All right, well, let's get into our discussion for today, and we'll get a little more context about why we're going to be having Dr. Watson on the show. So, popular Southern Baptist leader David Platt faced an interesting conundrum on Sunday. Here's how he described his conundrum in a statement from McLean Bible Church, the congregation where he joined on teaching staff in 2017. So he wrote this, At the end of my sermon at the one o'clock worship gathering, I stepped to the side for what I thought would be a couple moments in quiet reflection as we prepared to take the Lord's Supper. But I was immediately called backstage and told that the President of the United States was on his way to the church, would be there in a matter of minutes, and would like us to pray for him. So Trump arrived in the building, and he ended up coming on stage with David Platt. And when, while he was up there, David Platt cited First Timothy 2, and he put his arm around Trump and he prayed. And we're going to read an excerpt from this. Um, we can put the whole prayer in our show notes, but I'm, I'll just read you an excerpt of the prayer. He said, we pray that Trump would look to you, that he would trust in you, that he would lean on you, that he would govern and make decisions in ways that are good for justice, 
good for righteousness, good for equity, every good path. Lord, we pray that you would give him all the grace he needs to govern in the ways that we just saw in 1 Timothy 2 that lead to peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. So Trump attended the church after playing golf earlier in the day, and that Sunday also happened to be the same Sunday that Franklin Graham had called on Christians to pray for the president, as inspired by 1 Timothy 2, where in that passage, and as you can see, Platt also mentioned this in his prayer, Paul urges Christians to offer petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So just one side note from our coverage. For years, Platt has preached against the American focus on self-advancement, self-esteem, and self-sufficiency, and individualism, material, and universalism. Now, he's the pastor of the suburban Washington congregation full of Christians who work on the Hill, a place once deemed, quote, a holy destination for GOP senators and Bush aides. So this week on Quick to Listen, we'll discuss what goes through your mind when the executive branch shows up at your church, which is actually something that happened to Dr. Watson, which is why we're really excited to have him on the show to talk about that. But before we start asking him questions, I want Andy and I to both have the chance to react to this particular story. And Andy, do you have some thoughts that you would like to share? Yeah, Morgan, it's funny. I think it speaks to our particular moment in time, right? Uh, That uh, praying for a president. Uh, would would be so controversial. Just uh, it, it, in a sense, it almost doesn't even matter what the prayer is. That it's just uh, merely being on on a stage alongside the president uh, is a matter uh, that is arguable on Twitter and and is is worthy of a good uh, Twitter fistfight. You know, I also think it's interesting because it speaks a little bit to the unique role that that the church finds itself in, in particular in politics today. In theory, it's biblical. It's good to pray for for any leader. I think even David Platt, you know, referenced uh, that the church was called to pray for Nero. So it seems reasonable that we that we uh, could pray for any president and any administration. And yet, it uh, it's just not so simple in 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 reality as it's lived out. So it is a, a tremendously delicate spot for any pastor, particularly of an influential large church, to be in. Yeah, I didn't want to kind of like overload our um, summary with just comments from, you know, the different statements that were released from McLean Bible. But David Platt does acknowledge in his statement that his actions may have been really challenging and come at some sort of, I don't know if cost is too strong of a word, but um, made it challenging for the church to pursue unity there. And one thing that I think is interesting is that um, we actually did a piece on Friday about Franklin Graham's um, declaration to ask people to pray for the president. And we kind of got a bunch of people to talk about what that me- means to pray for the president in a little, slightly more generic terms, but not necessarily. But I think what is interesting to me and part of the reason I really wanted to have Dr. Watson on the show is that there's both the action of praying for the president, but there's also like tending to your flock as well and being attentive to how people in, you know, that are part of your congregation are going to process this or see that way. These are some uh, reminiscent a little bit of conversations I had with some people at Taylor University a couple weeks ago. Taylor University is a Christian school in Indiana that Mike Pence recently spoke at commencement and I had conversations by people with people who felt uncomfortable about that when that happened, about what it would mean to have the actual vice president show up during their graduation. And so there's also some things, too, of just like the spectacle of someone that's that 
powerful and influential coming to this space that's ostensibly open to everyone, but often they kind of really change the dynamic in really significant ways. So Dr. Watson, as we kind of transition to you, I really want to hear your thoughts on this Platt situation, but I'm wondering actually if at first you can tell us a little bit about your particular story that took place last year in 2018 when the vice president showed up at your church. Well, sure. Um, uh, It was um, the week uh, leading up to Martin Luther King's celebration. I received a call from the office of the vice president indicating um, that he had been recommended to uh, come and visit our church by the Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny uh, Perdue, who had uh, been periodically attending our church, uh, had a relationship with him, and wanted to know, they want to know, was it okay for the vice president to visit our church? Of course, I said, it's absolutely okay. Anybody can visit our church. We don't uh, discriminate about, uh, against anyone coming to uh, visit our church. So uh, things were going routinely in terms of all of the preparations behind the scenes for that to happen. But in the meantime, the news cycle that week happened, and someone allegedly said some disparaging things about people from Haiti and uh, and people from some of the countries in Africa. And it was kind of controversial. Uh, the, ad- the adjectives that were used to describe them were dehumanizing, to say the least. And being a pastor of an African-American church, some of my members are from actually from Haiti, and some of my members are from some some countries in Africa. And of course, I felt uh, a need to uh, to address that. It had to be addressed. That's uh, uh, because they had been dehumanized. Regardless of what one thinks of Haiti and what one thinks of certain countries in Africa, all people are made in the imago day, in the very image and likeness of God. And the adjective that was used to describe them. Uh, dehumanize that image. And as a pastor, uh, a Christian leader, I have a responsibility uh, to defend uh, my flock and to give a voice to the voiceless. And so uh, I wasn't, we were not going to uh, disinvite the vice president because one, the vice president did not make that remark. And um, so he came as uh, he had uh, planned to come. And I told the church that I usually don't address every news cycle, but this happens to be one that I have to address. And I would, and I made my statement. I would, I would have made that statement, whether or not the vice president was coming. Um, and that is that I said, and of course it's public record. You can uh, Google it. That it has been alleged that someone said, and I never said the president, but I said someone said, uh, use some. Um, uh, visceral uh, adjectives to describe people in Haiti and Africa. And I said, whoever said it is wrong and owes those people groups an apology. And so it was. that's kind of how things uh, developed behind the scenes uh, for me, and, and that's how that happened. I'm curious if there was any part of you that was just maybe a little bit anxious or nervous when you decided to kind of address those remarks in front of the entire congregation. Let me be absolutely honest with you. Absolutely. I have the highest respect for the office of president and for the office of vice president. I don't make it a habit of uh, having people come into my presence to say controversial things uh, in their presence. That was not uh, something that I had planned to do. But the news cycle happened when it happened, and I had to be responsible as a pastor 
to give a voice to segments of my congregation that I believe had been offended. So yes, uh, it was nerve-wracking. But I prayed and asked God to give me the right words to say and to give me the right uh, tone of saying it. And I believe one would listen to those remarks, that they were very measured and that they were very carefully spoken and uh, done so, I hope, uh, with with a spirit of of, of love and, and politeness. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 that we are to speak the truth in love. It literally means truthing in love. And uh, tr- sometimes truthing in love means that one has to do as Pastor Platt did, and that is to pray for someone, even if that person is someone with whom one disagrees. But also truthing in love is uh, what I believe I did, to speak in a very measured, in a very respectful way, to say, if someone made those remarks about these people groups, whoever that person may be, is wrong. And so in both cases, I believe both models was truthing in love. So when you were working with the vice president's team, I'm, I'm just curious from like a logistical perspective, it seems that it would, there was a little bit more intentionality than in this case that David Platt faced as far as knowing ahead of time when things were going to happen. But is there a protocol for where the vice president sits or the way that the vice president might participate or come on stage or not come on stage or any of that stuff that gets kind of communicated logistically ahead of time? Well, my executive pastor handled most of the behind the scenes uh, logistics, working with the Secret Service. And of course, where the vice president sits, that's the decision of his of the Secret Service. And, and what have you. Of course, the vice president knew uh, that he was not to make remarks. I, when politicians come to our church, we usually will recognize politicians and, of course, allow them to uh, shake hands if they'd like to stay and shake hands if they want, but not to speak. And that's not just for the vice president. That's just a general rule we use for all politicians who come to our church. Do you actually mind sharing a little bit about that type of rule that you have about, I mean, obviously you're a church that's in D.C., right? So I'm, I'm sure there are politicians that come through all the time. So what are the underlying principles behind that policy? Well, one, as a nonprofit corp, uh, corpor, uh, corporation, we are not to promote e- any particular politician as a, a nonprofit corporation. So I do it. For, we do that for, from that perspective, for one thing. Secondly, it's not the church's job to, to tell individuals how they should vote and, 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 and who they should vote for. And so in the interest of fairness, uh, if I allow one politician to speak, then I have to allow the rest of them to speak. And, but the purpose for a worship service is not p- promoting a political agenda. It is to worship God and to bring glory to, to, to his name. And so that's why, um, in part, why we do what we do in terms of not allowing politicians to uh, to address the church. Dr. Watson, I'm curious, were there media or uh, press at, at your church when uh, the vice president appeared? I noticed uh, at, at McLean, at least, there, were, there was at least some photographs distributed by the Associated Press. No, there was no media there. It, the uh, uh, recording that's on the Internet of my, my remarks, they were just... Uh, recorded from our cameras that we use every Sunday in our worship services. So 
obviously you give these particular remarks then, and as you said, there was no media there, but what happened or the the specific things that happened and what the stuff that you said did get picked up by the news media. And I'm curious if you can tell us about what that experience was like for you after the fact. Oh, wow. Um, you ever been called a communist? Nope. <laughs> Not to my face. Uh, well, I was called a communist and I was called many other names that I certainly could not, as a Christian, say uh, in public or private, for that matter, and have a good conscience. I got a lot of, um, of, of, of uh, emails. Probably 95% of them were very, very supportive that I had the courage to take the stand that I did to speak out uh, against what I perceived to be wrong. And, of course, about 5% of them were very visceral and negative um, remarks and emails that I received. Unfortunately, some of them were from evangelical Christians who challenged the, the notion that I would uh, uh, embarrass the president or the vice president, which was certainly not uh, my intent at all. I was simply being a pastor speaking uh, on behalf of uh, his members, and my remarks were not toward the vice president, but toward whoever allegedly made those kinds of comments. And so it was, uh, I had to stop listening or reading emails for a while because it was just kind of overwhelming. When you are visited at your church by someone as prominent as the president or the vice president, as a pastor, do you just assume that it's going to become a public affair? Well, wherever the president or vice president goes, it, it becomes a public affair. That's just the, by the, na- the nature of their office. But when, when politicians come into churches, I think they need to realize that they come into our space. They come into God's space. And coming into our space doesn't mean that we're supposed to change our message to accommodate them, that we still have to represent a higher power, uh, that we, the church is not, uh, I think in the words of Tony Evans, to ride on the backs of donkeys or elephants. Jesus didn't come to ride on the backs of donkeys nor elephants. He didn't come to take sides. He came to take over and that we represent the kingdom of God. And so politicians need to understand that when they come into the church, they come into, in, into, into our territory, and we're not necessarily bound to change uh, our emphasis uh, or our message to accommodate them. This episode is brought to you by Church Salary. Coming up with a reasonable salary range for church staff has never been easy. There are so many details to consider before setting compensation for church staff, and you're probably asking yourself questions like, are we paying too little or too much? What benefits do we offer employees? What's a reasonable housing allowance? Church Salary believes that offering competitive and fair compensation helps keep people in ministry. Using the expansive church-specific compensation database and powerful salary calculator tool, you can also make better compensation decisions so your staff can focus on their ministries. Start with Church Salary's annual membership today to run unlimited customized reports and get access to our member-only content. Ready to start making better compensation decisions? Get started at churchsalary.com. One of the interesting things I think about uh, the situation with Vice President Pence's visit 
to your church, Dr. Watson, and then, of course, President Trump's visit to McLean, is that it, there is a sort of a crossing of the line. You know, the church, first and foremost, has a local ministry. Any church, first and foremost, has a local ministry to its own church body. And yet, uh, of course, as Christians and as a church with a capital C, there is a global ministry to um, uh, not only geographically global, but to but to all people, right? So the church, certainly with a capital C, is called to pray for, I mean, there, there would be no one outside the bounds of, of acceptable prayer, right? Uh, and yet, as a pastor, you know, your, I can only imagine your duty that you feel towards your particular congregation suddenly has to be balanced in a new way when your church is sort of thrust from sort of a local ministry into sort of a, a more national ministry, just in terms of how your comments are going to be weighed. You said you didn't change what you, what you said just because the vice president was in attendance, but I do wonder how, as a pastor, you weigh sort of your obligation to your local church, but also to, um, to fulfill kind of the broader calling to pray for all leaders. Well, I commend Pastor Platt for praying for the president. I pray for the president uh, myself. Though on many things that the president does, I strongly disagree. But uh, I am obligated as a Christian to uh, to pray for those who are in leadership. And so I commend him uh, for offering that prayer. However, with regard to the um, Franklin Graham called for prayer, the, the problem that I and others have with that is the politicizing of Mr. Graham's call for prayer. We all agree that we should pray for the president, but one cannot stick one's head in the sand and not also know the political support that Mr. Graham also calls on people to have for this president. So I think that's where a lot of the controversy lies, that it has become politicized. Yeah, and I, I think that's actually a thing that I would like to talk a little bit more about. Because I think Andy touched on this a little bit at the beginning of the show, but it, it seems like with this administration, there's maybe a certain group of people who think that, like, yes, business can kind of continue as usual. This is just another president. There's nothing to see here. And there are other people who say, no, basically everything that this administration touches, it politicizes in some way. It maybe co-ops. It puts people in situations that... Um, are completely unlike what any other administration would do with regards to the type of tensions that they feel or with regards to the maybe communities they're betraying or supporting in this instance. Is that something that um, you would say is true in your experience? Absolutely. I agree 100 percent. Yeah. Which seems to make this situation that we were talking about on Sunday unique in its own right. Is I mean, I think even just from this idea of... <laughs> showing up a couple minutes beforehand and saying that you would like to be prayed for and putting everyone in a really like difficult situation with regards how they wanted to to handle that. Well, I can't, I can't, I wouldn't dare say that I know what the intentions of the president were in his heart, but the optics of it was somewhat troubling for me. If in fact uh, his visit had anything to do with uh, them praying for him in light of the uh, massacre of the 12 individuals uh, uh, in Virginia. If uh, his asking for prayer has to do with that event, I, th I thought the optics of coming off of a golf course after 12 people have been massacred 
to just as almost as an afterthought to show up at church and say, pray for me. I don't know if those objects look right. Yes, it is certainly it is certainly intriguing that the president had other options. He could have requested to meet maybe privately with David Platt after after the service or in between services to be prayed for. It didn't have to be in a public way, which makes me think as a as a pastor in a city uh, where there are many a politicians, uh, many a politician, often uh, in your church. It sounds like do uh, do you think through questions of of motive? Uh, you know, why is this particular uh, public figure in my church. What uh, what are they? Not to put it too crudely, but what are they trying to use my church for? Or do you, um, as a pastor, just assume everybody has many motives for coming to any church, and I just uh, I, I treat everyone the same? On one hand, yes, we do try to treat everyone the same. But on the other hand, um, we would be irresponsible um, if and naive if we did not also understand that politicians, for the most part politic, and that going to uh, churches for some politicians can be for photo op purposes and what have you. I'm not saying, again, that I know what's in a person's heart. I don't. But we have seen, especially in, well, at least in, in my context, I've seen politicians who come, of course, for a photo op opportunity. I mean, you would have to agree that with, uh, uh, in light of the Martin Luther King celebration, I'm sure the vice president wants to honor Dr. King. And of course, like you said, wherever the president or the vice president goes, it becomes a national issue. So, you know, there were many people who were praising David Platt specifically for the nature of his prayer. And there were some people that were saying, this is such a great prayer. It should be used by pastors to pray for every politician out there. And I, I'm just curious, like, what do you make of that type of reaction? Like, oh, there's a prayer out there that we should use, and it should just be used for every single president out there. It's a great prayer. Or, you know, would you say that sometimes, like, the politics of that particular politician should determine how you engage them? I think the person should be led of the Lord how to pray for anyone. And I don't think any there's any cook, cookie-cutter prayer that is always appropriate. I think one just needs to be sincere when one prays and prays from one's heart uh, what he senses the Lord, what he wants the Lord to do for that particular person. While I commend uh, Reverend Platt for for his prayer, uh, that's not the only way, you know, that one could pray, uh, but it was certainly a um, an appropriate one. Well, and I actually want to talk about the the only way thing right here. So what what are some various ways that you can imagine the situation that it might have played out where, you know, this is not the only way that David Platt, and this is not anything about picking on Platt, this is just thinking through the different ways that we engage any type of person that's in the presidency that allows us to show them respect, um, but maybe allows us to also, you know, choose to challenge them in different ways or to, I think you made an interesting point earlier about when people are coming into our space too, you know, and that, that yeah, the just balance, but also the fact that, you know, people are coming into church, right? And that doesn't necessarily mean that they are able to kind of tip the balance or really change the dynamics in the room beyond just that. This is one of the reasons I, I just believe that uh, as ministers, we have to be careful getting in the bed with politicians, because sometimes 
the spiritual leader has to tell the political leader that he or she is wrong. We have many, many biblical examples of that, whether it's Old Testament or, or, or the Apostle Paul. I just believe that we have to keep our, our independence as religious leaders to be able to, yes, pray for politicians and government leaders um, and, and encourage them, uh, but we have to also have that independence to be able to say when the king is wrong to call out the king's wrong. What do you think are some like small things that pastors might do that might compromise their ability to speak the truth to whomever's in power? Well, when pastors get in the bed with politicians, and uh, we're seeing an example of that with many of the powerful evangelical pastors who say that they stand for morality and for righteousness, but have not once said to this president about anything that he has done or said that is obviously wrong. Not once have we heard from the uh, national evangelical leadership, not one word of criticism, not one word of challenge. And I, 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 I'm, I, I find myself baffled as I engage in conversations about that. Why aren't we hearing any of the powerful white evangelical pastors, spiritual leaders speak up and call this president to the carpet when he does something or says something that is certainly unbiblical and unchristian. And yet, and, and if uh, I believe we all know that if President Obama had done or said one-tenth of some of the things that we've heard from this administration, he would have been attacked by those same pastors who say nothing now. Dr. Watson, I'm curious, as, as an African-American pastor of a fairly prominent church in the D.C. area, have you found yourself feeling more pressure over the last couple of years to to dip your toe into the political waters more, or even just to speak maybe even obliquely to some of these things from the pulpit, uh, whether that's pressure you put on yourself or put on you from others, or or do you feel no no more pressure now than you did, you know, say three years ago to speak about these things? You know, that's a very, very good question that I'm glad you asked. I would have to, if I'm honest, I would have to say that, uh, that that's one of the differences uh, when we were talking about is D.C. in the South or not, mm-hmm. um, of being pastoring in the South, uh, the true South, I'll call it, <laughs> and pastoring here, um, the politics of uh, this region are real. And the social consciousness about the issues that we face are, are very, very real. I pastor a church that is accustomed to and expects its pastor to uh, speak up and uh, for uh, the downtrodden, and to have a a a a a, a, a social conscious voice. Uh, and so, yes, being in this area, uh, I, I would be naive if I uh, didn't say that um, it has made me more sensitive to speaking up when it is appropriate for me to speak up for the issues that we're seeing facing today. It, it definitely has had an effect on on how I look at these matters and when I speak, how much I speak out on these matters. What, did your, what is your own gauge for when something is appropriate or not? I'm not one of those 
uh, pastors who uh, believe that every time something happens in, in a news cycle that I need to give a commentary on it. If that's the case, I wouldn't have time to preach the gospel. I would just get up every <laughs> Sunday and just read, read the newspaper. That's our fear, too, um, but, here at CT. <laughs> right, right. But it's just, um, I, 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 there's no particular rule. Just when some things lead me, when I feel led at times that I, I need to speak up on some things, some things I will, when it, when, 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 it, when it crosses a particular threshold in my mind and heart that I feel like I would be irresponsible if I didn't speak out, then that's when it kind of tells me, yes, you probably need to say something. Gotcha. I I wanted, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I want to talk a little bit right now about just the the congregation and church unity and the effect that these types of situations have on the people that are there. So first of all, Dr. Watson, can you tell us about what you heard from your congregation after Vice President Pence came and also the ways in which you saw your congregation kind of react to what you were saying and react to the vice president being there as well? Let, let me let me also say this, and I'll answer that question. I was not trying to have a got you moment with the vice president of the United States. I respect the office of vice president and president uh, too much to trivialize it with got you uh, moment. But I was just being a pastor, loving my people and defending uh, uh, their honor. I had some members of my church uh, from Haiti, Africa, and places uh, like that that came up to me with tears in their eyes, thanking me for giving them a voice. Of course, overwhelmingly, our congregation was supportive of what I did that day and what I said that day. So, yes, in, in, in their eyes, very, very pleased and happy. How did they react with regards to just the vice president being there? Is that something that feels like old news? Or are they excited about that? Oh, well, you know, when the vice president came, we, we the vice president was treated with respect. Members of our church uh, were taking selfies with him. Um, and to his credit, uh, the vice president stayed for the entire worship service and shook hands with people uh, after service. And um, so uh, they treated him very, very respectfully. They were, of course, as any church would be, uh, honored to have a a president or a vice president to uh, to come to to its worship experience. It's not the first time a president has come to Metropolitan Baptist Church in the Clinton administration. He visited our church uh, under the former pastor. Gotcha. So there was not a sense of why is Metropolitan Baptist hosting someone from this administration? There was a sense of like. Now, yeah, there were some there who were questioning why um, he would be uh, invited to come. Um, and But as I told my congregation, uh, this was not an invitation from us for him to come. He asked his office asked if he could come. And of course. If he asked if he could come, absolutely. We would say, yes, you could come to church. I'm I'm not going to tell people you can't come to church. I'm wondering if you feel like it changes the dynamics at all to have a member of the administration come to a predominantly African-American church versus one that, like David Platt, which I think at the beginning, I, I, I know that it is 
more multi-ethnic than it used to be. But it in our passage we talked about, or in our story we talked about it, being a holy destination for GOP senators and Bush aides. And if there's any part about like the demographics of the church that kind of change how these appearances by politicians play out. This is nothing new with regard to politicians visiting churches. They've been doing that as long as there's been politics and as long as there's been a church. The, the unfortunate thing that we're seeing today is just the highly politicized and highly divided atmosphere that we are seeing in this nation today. And so with it being so highly charged politically and the lines are drawn, uh, have been drawn on both sides, whether conservative or progressive. Now, when a politician uh, attends a church, um, it, it has a more, it takes on, I think, a different feel than it used to maybe 10 years ago because of how divided we are as a nation. One of the ways that we often end this podcast, we talk to people from all over the world, but I think this is a fitting question for you know, the D.C. area this time, but how would you encourage listeners of this podcast to pray for D.C. right now? Well, I would say not just pray for D.C., but pray for our nation, that somehow we can heal and, and somehow we can resolve our, our division along political lines, along racial lines, along uh, socioeconomic lines. We can do better than this. I, I believe that this country uh, is, is, be- is better than this. But right now, with it being so charged, racially charged and politically charged, we got to ask God to, to step in and, and, and touch hearts and change our, 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 our mindsets and that we can learn that if, even if some of us don't love the other person, at least we can respect the other person. They will. There used to be a, a time when, when people would say, "I don't like your politics," but now the atmosphere is, "I don't like your politics, and I don't like you." And somehow we've got to, we, we've got to get beyond this hate, and this visceral division that we have. What would you say to the people of color who feel like they have been betrayed or really hurt by white evangelicals during the past couple of years? Well, uh, we have been, and it's quite unfortunate what, what we're seeing happening. White evangelicals don't understand what it means to be in a, put in an underdog situation, as we have as African Americans. And yet, with everything that has been against us, somehow, with God's help, we've been able to, to survive. I hope that we'd learn that those in power would learn to empathize. Uh, with people who've been marginalized, and that it is wrong to stereotype people groups and to think that the color of one's skin lessens or increases one's value inherently. I just would say again that we've been called to speak the truth in love, and that love doesn't mean that uh, we stick our heads in the sand and everybody says, let's just have a kumbaya moment and can we all get along? But love sometimes means that like a David Platt, we have an obligation to pray for our national leaders. But love on the other hand means that we have to have the courage to speak up and speak out and tell even leaders when they're wrong. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Watson, for sharing your thoughts with us and obviously your own story and some of the painful parts that happen afterwards. We really appreciate you being willing to come on here and do that. For people who have feedback, you can send us the feedback and you can do that by sending us an email. We're at podcasts at christianitytoday.com. We're also on Twitter at CT Podcasts, and we welcome hearing your thoughts on this. I would like to remind everyone that this show is made possible by everyone who subscribes to Christianity Today magazine. And if you're ever wondering who makes the magazine possible, that is my co-host here, Andy, who is just the magician that helps put out every single issue that we have. And we had some really intense stories for our June issue. Um, Andy, I don't know if you wanted to talk about one of the most intense ones that we did. Yeah, well, intense is a funny descriptor. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, we were... The June issue on the whole uh, is very strong and is full of a lot of engaging issue uh, stories. In particular, our editor and reporter, Kate Shelnut, interviewed uh, 10 women in the Southern Baptist Convention that are uh, that have been leaders and changemakers uh, within the denomination with regards to issues of sexual abuse and, and just broadening awareness of this issue and really uh, helping guide that denomination and, and really the, the whole evangelical church more broadly. Uh, to face uh, some hard truths that we've all been having to face uh, on that on that topic, it, it is a very powerful compilation of of um, uh, interviews and beautiful portraits uh, of leaders uh, that many of whom we uh, know who are sort of somewhat household names, and some others. Uh, there's a good chance you probably don't know, so I would highly recommend that piece. Absolutely, and I think it's one of again those pieces that we do that really makes a difference when you're holding the magazine. This is no disrespect to any of the formatting or UX that we have online. This is just a testament to some of the portrait work that we're able to get and to be able to read about these women while um, seeing these portraits of them is really stark and powerful. If you'd like a copy of this, you can become a subscriber. We're at orderct.com slash podcast. That's orderct.com slash podcast. Now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, and that gives everyone a chance to share something that has brought them joy in the past week. Andy, I'm going to start with you. Things that have brought me joy. Well, two things. Speaking of Atlanta, as we as we started this podcast uh, mentioning, uh, my in-laws live in Atlanta, and we, we too will be traveling there in just a couple of weeks. Uh, this year is our 15-year anniversary, my wife and I. And uh, so one of the funnest things I've done this past week is planning a little... Uh, couple of day anniversary getaway in Atlanta. So we will be with the in-laws, which as those of you with children know, means uh, childcare that is uh, more, more or less free of charge. So we are really excited to take advantage of that and celebrate our anniversary. And then the second thing I will say that brought me joy was actually just this morning as I was reading up a little bit on Metropolitan Baptist Church. I confess I, I did not know this and I was delightfully surprised to learn the, d- the deep history of Dr. Watson's church uh, Metropolitan uh, traces its origins all the way back to just on the heels of the Emancipation Proclamation to a group of believers who began worshiping in a, in a former Civil War army barracks, uh, and then eventually it, it, uh, it grew into what it is today. Um, it was a pretty moving uh, history. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys do a good job commemorating it on the church's website, too, and kind of sharing that story. Is that something that you guys also too kind of commemorate or have a big place where the sh- where the church gets a, gets a chance to to share that with people? Well, absolutely. Every year we 
celebrate our church anniversary. We just celebrated it last month, 155 year uh, anniversary as a church. And so we stop and pause every year to to reflect and thank God for uh, the long and rich history that we've had as a as a congregation. Andy, are you available if people want to find you outside of this podcast? I sure am. Uh, you can find me occasionally if you if you're looking carefully on Twitter uh, at Andy R Olson. Cool. All right, Dr. Watson, you're next. What has brought you joy in the past week? I'm joyful about the fact that a good friend of mine who has gone through a lot of challenges trying to uh, finish his Master of Divinity degree from New Orleans Seminary has uh, uh, finally graduated just this past uh, week. And uh, just knowing his struggle and all of the challenges that he was up against and to see that he uh, persevered and got his degree uh, brings joy to my heart. That's a really amazing thing when you have a chance to, to walk with someone through that entire process. Absolutely. Absolutely. But he made it through. There were times that he wanted to give up. And of course, I had to be there for him to say, you can't do it. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. And uh, now on the other side of it, um, he's full of joy and I'm full of joy that he made it through. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. Can you share where people can find you on social media? Sure. At Dr. Maurice Watson on Twitter. Okay. And what is the website of your church? MetropolitanBaptist.org. Okay. And you can click around there and you can find the church's history on there. All right. My precious moment is kind of random, but I had friends over the other night and somehow in our group chat, someone had wanted to make food from the country of Azerbaijan. So we made food from the country of Azerbaijan, which is actually, I think it's called plov. And it is a dish that is all throughout Central Asia including like Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan and so forth. And the way that we made it at least is you basically have a giant pot, make a layer of chicken, layer of onions, and then you layer dried fruit and rice on top of it. Good. So you'll be making it uh, for us at a, at an upcoming staff gathering. Maybe. I could do that. Fantastic. I could do that. And you have like butter on it. So it's like really buttery, which is delicious too. We had like prunes and raisins and my friend sadly forgot the dates, but there are apricots in there and it tastes really good. It's incredibly hearty and not that difficult to make it all. I also played the national anthem of Azerbaijan and read facts from the CIA fact book. So we knew more about what we were eating and where it was from. But that was really fun. That sounds like just another week in the life of Morgan right there. <laughs> Listen, it was Sounds good. good. <laughs> All right, people can find me on Twitter. I'm at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. This podcast is produced by myself and Cray Allred. The music is by Sweeps. You can rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Everyone who does that, again, thank you so much for doing that. We truly appreciate it. You can find the podcast basically everywhere that you get your podcasts. Again, if you want to support the show, do that by becoming a subscriber. We're at orderct.com slash podcasts, and we will see you all next week. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips.
Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.